0: You're listening to Fueled, a Fenstermaker podcast, and I'm your host, Holden Landry. Before we get started, I'm gonna introduce Nick a little bit. Uh, Nicholas Castile joined Fenstermaker in November 2019 after graduating from the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. He then gained his professional engineering licensure three and a half years later in 2023. As a civil engineer, Nick brings his expertise in design, planning, and hydraulic modeling to our engineering division. Nick actively contributes to roadway plan preparation, horizontal geometric design, inspections, design of geotechnical features, and the implementation of open and closed drainage systems. His primary focus and expertise lying in drainage design, hydrologic and hydraulic modeling and reporting, roadway design and plan production, civil site design, and construction administration. Nick, I've been looking forward to this interview. Thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. We really appreciate it. Hey, good afternoon, Holden. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm also excited, yeah. So uh, what inspired you to pursue a career in civil engineering, and how did you get started in the field? I think like probably the vast
1: majority of my peers, I took an interest to architecture at a young age, uh, probably based on the toys I was playing with, like Legos, maybe some of the video games I was playing, and you know that interest in architecture. Became a little daunting once I learned a little more about what architecture school looks like. It can be awfully creative and subjective and demanding. Um, And and frankly, I found that civil engineering might be a better fit based on my aptitude for math uh, throughout grade school. We took these tests that were supposed to place you into what kind of major you'd best be suited for. And I always landed in the architecture, engineering, construction group. So it felt like a a natural uh, uh, place to wind up for me. Um, So yeah, and and I got my start in the industry, as you introduced, with the geotechnical side of civil engineering. I worked for a small outfit in Art, Louisiana, named Site Engineering. They're a geotechnical group, a couple of engineers and some lab testing folks and some construction inspection folks. Uh, It's a great group. They did a lot of interesting work, designing foundations, designing pavements, construction materials testing and inspection. Um, It it was an awesome group to work with. I made some great friends and uh, I'm thankful for that experience. Um, Then later on I decided I wanted to try my hand at a couple of different types of civil engineering so I wound up here at Finstermaker and it's been great since.
0: That's awesome. I actually have a few peers uh, working at site right now that I take classes with. Yeah I'd recommend it to anybody. So um, moving on how does the field of civil engineering Evolved since you started your career and what emerging trends do you see?
1: Uh, I guess when we talk about trends, the first thing that that comes to mind is this AI boom that we're in. You know, I'm sure you've seen in the news or on LinkedIn or wherever you may look that AI is taking over a lot of the ways that we do things through the lens of software. Uh, especially you know AI is capable of deriving code all on its own or creating websites or spreadsheets or things like that and I I think as we look at the capabilities of AI that's going to eventually it already has but migrate even more over to civil engineering 10 20 50 years that might mean this AI is you're giving it a site hey, look, we're wanting to do a project in Lafayette Parish. And you, you tell it the plot of land, and it already fetched the rainfall information, the LIDAR data, and it started building a 3D surface, and you just need to determine what your proposed project is, and it'll help the design. And then that becomes the engineer's responsibility to check that design and make sure that it makes sense and meets design criteria and stuff like that. Um, so that's what I predict will happen. Uh, who's to say? I, I mean... I don't think anybody expected the AI thing to come as soon as it did. So who knows what's next? I think about just the software of HECRAS alone. Um, you know, when I started, I think the program was on version 5.0 and now we're on six something. I've lost count. And I know that the number of tools that the software has now has, has grown tremendously to the point that a few of my colleagues here and I used to make spreadsheets or GIS tools to improve processes that we'd use in RAS models. Um, and now a lot of those things are built-in tools that ship with the software completely free. And that's that's pretty incredible just to see. We spent hours trying to improve the task that took hours and now it's reduced to a click of a button. Not exactly, but mostly. So it's pretty cool to see that.
0: I agree. I think. Uh A lot of the stuff that we do in class is more old school and design and a lot of the things that I'm learning here very much more just plug and play.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting to see how the essentials that you learn in school translate to the way that we work in consulting, which is typically utilizing some software, um, be it RAS, be it MicroStation and Road, something else. Um, It's interesting to, to use the tools in your tool bag and then create the thing with some some assistance. Yeah.
0: So this is a more recent thing for you, but how has your recent PE licensure impacted your responsibilities at work? Sure. As I'm sure anyone who is a professional engineer
1: watching knows it, it's a little scary to get the license finally. And there's a heightened sense of responsibility uh, once you've gotten the license, because now you can really take ownership of the things that you're designing and recommending to clients for construction. And you know, I think the biggest difference is probably decision-making, right? You, once you get licensed, it's kind of like before that point, or at least at FencedMaker, we traditionally are doing tasks for someone who has a license. And they're kind of reviewing the thing as we go. And and though we are confident in the things we're doing and we're making educated decisions to, to get the project to the point where it needs to be for the client... Ultimately, it's someone else's name attached to the thing. And once you get the license, that very well may become your name and it, it will. Um, so that kind of changes things a little bit and you, you think a little longer and maybe harder and, and thoughtfully about the design that you've created and is it the best version of the thing that it can be? Uh, you know, so the kind of the decision making changes a little bit um, once you once you get the license, but uh yeah, it's been good. Uh, it's it's a it's a challenging but fun and rewarding thing to to be a licensed professional engineer. So,
0: yeah, kind of lose that safety line, I guess. But yeah, this and well, look, we still
1: have checks all over the place. We still review things and, and everything we do is intentional. Right. Yeah. We we go to the design manual or to the criteria or the guidance or whatever the best available data is. And we select something that we feel is reasonable or that is the best available practice, what we see on the street even, you know, what what is actually being built. Um, And that often can can at least subconsciously guide us to to choosing a good design.
0: Okay, so I guess moving right along, you mentioned this already, but uh, how has your background in geotechnical lab testing contributed or impacted your current projects and responsibilities? I guess, how does your background translate to what you're doing now? Sure, I I can tell you not so much directly, right? The the work
1: that you do at a geotechnical firm traditionally kind of stands on its own legs uh, in terms of design components, right? Geotechnical is kind of its own space. They do all kind of uh, explorations, they do testing, they do uh, studies to determine properties of soil that are oftentimes related through empirical data back to some... Design characteristics, so it's 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 a hair different, um, but it was very neat to come to Fenstermaker after leaving that industry and seeing some of the projects that we were designing um, that I had actually worked on at Site Engineering. So, I, I as a student intern at Site Engineering would do geotechnical boring explorations, and we would go drill the hole in the earth and and pull the soil sample out that would later become used for some design component uh, here at FinstMaker. I, I think we helped out on a few roadway projects, maybe a few structures. Um, so, so it was neat to see both sides of the coin effectively. Um, I even remember one of my first few tasks here at Fenstermaker was helping out on the construction administration of the Kali Saloom roadway expansion up to E. Broussard. And I'd actually gotten to review some of the construction inspection testing results, which I myself had done the testing for at, at site engineering. So it was cool to see that that loop kind of closed and, and how the design engineer at Fenstermaker was interpreting and, and using the results that the geotechnical lab was collecting. So that was cool.
0: That is cool. That's a neat process to kind of see. To have been a part of, yeah, surely can you share your thoughts on sustainable and environmentally friendly practices in civil engineering and how they have influenced your work
1: sure um, I, I definitely think that sustainable and environmental friendly design is hugely important in our area of practice you know we talk about things we design like roadway or drainage they meet the needs of today but they also need to hold up and and frankly when you start involving the owners money be it the taxpayer dollar at a municipal entity, like a government, or even a private developer who's building a neighborhood or a a facility. You want their investment into their project to be long-lasting and to serve their needs. Um, So to say that we include environmental and sustainable, friendly solutions in our designs, I think we do. We have been part of several environmental assessments, which deliberately seek to identify the best possible alternative of a potential project so that we're impacting the environment as little as possible, and we provide the most sustainable solution for an owner. Um, I, myself, have worked on a couple of those, and it's, it's neat to see that there is a process in place, especially when federal money is attached, to ensure that a quality, environmental friendly, and sustainable solution is put in place to a project need. Um, I think there's also, there's a lot of ideas that are out there on how to improve existing or traditional designs. Uh, I know green infrastructure is a big thing, trying to better capture storm runoff and and treat it naturally or semi-naturally before it goes to some outfall or some treatment plant. But I think there's also a gap where not all of those things are exactly widely accepted yet. So it could be a little tricky to get an owner to buy into some new or abstract concept that there may not be an abundance of examples of. Um, I think we're we're progressing as an industry. I know LCG has been exploring some new vegetative ideas for their detention pond projects, and I think that's awesome that they're willing to invest some amount to, to get to a better standard of environmental friendly projects. Um, but there's still a lot of way to go in in figuring out better environmental friendly and sustainable solutions,
0: yeah, that's something that's come up uh, this semester for me is in our construction class, my teacher has made a big push about sustainable stuff and not necessarily designing it for the twenty five or the fifty year outlook, but mm-hmm. for right. the foreseeable future mm-hmm. right. How that impacts it
1: becomes it becomes a balance, right? because we need we are hired to prepare a design that meets the needs of the client and the client almost certainly always has a budget for that design so it's it's marrying what is the best version of the thing that we can get based on this budget but also keeping in mind if we spend a little extra or if we change this design component do we get an extra 10 years design life or do we get an extra 10 years design storm event for a hydrologic uh, project you know it, Those are things to consider and to approach our clients about and make sure that they understand how we can best serve them. I agree. That's a very interesting topic,
0: too. Can you discuss a specific project you've worked on that had unique challenges and how you addressed them?
1: Sure. Um, You know, one thing that comes to mind is we were partnering with another local firm on a bridge replacement project. Um, We were analyzing the hydraulic uh, impact of the proposed project and potential scour at a bridge replacement. So there was a bridge that was deemed deficient by the Department of Transportation. And in the construction plan production process, we were hired to do this hydraulic analysis, part of which featured a no-rise study, which is uh, a type of study required by FEMA and the National Flood Insurance Program which is to certify that a project does not negatively impact the existing studied floodplain. Um, So, through the lens of this project, we needed to, number one, replace the deficient bridge, but number two, in a way that did not negatively impact residences and businesses nearby in the floodplain. So, though we recognize there is a need to replace this structure, it's not as easy or simple or quick as just go build a new bridge. We need to make sure that the bridge meets the needs structurally and hydraulically. So coordinating all of those things with the structural engineer and our hydraulic design and FEMA and the floodplain administrator locally presented an interesting challenge that that was interesting to navigate through.
0: And uh, especially when you consider the age of some of the FEMA models, right? Sure, and and when you think about those FEMA models
1: were produced years ago with less data, um, you know we only ever, in my opinion, increase in the amount of available data. So it's it's easy to think about the way things are now, but you really have to take a step back and put yourself in the in the shoes of that original um, consultant or analyst or or FEMA representative, whoever performed that original study, and and think about how that, that existing model should be used today and the assumptions of that existing model in relation to what we're designing today.
0: Speaking of challenges, can you share some of the challenges you faced in your career and how you overcame them?
1: Yeah, that's a big question, Holden. I think, uh, I think kind of the, the biggest challenge might actually be related to self-esteem and, and feeling like the designs we're producing are, are good enough or are meeting the needs of the client um, I know, for instance, I, I've seen and derived some of the opinions of pr- probable cost for projects that we've worked on, and we start talking about a $17 million roadway, it, you start wondering, man, is this, is this the right thing? And, and it is, it's, it's like I called back to earlier. We design things intentionally, we, we have design criteria set forth by governing agencies that, that we follow, that we learn from, that we um, improve upon, but it's always interesting to battle internally, is this, is this a good, thought out, you know, well-produced design? If I were walking on the street, would, would I look at this thing and, and think it looks appropriate or would I try and pick it apart? Um, so kind of grappling with some of that internally has, has been a challenge of mine, certainly.
0: Yeah, I can see how that would uh, be food for thought. Yep. In your experience, what role does collaboration play in successful civil engineering projects? And how do you foster effective teamwork?
1: Yeah, I, I think teamwork is is critical. And I, I think a large part of that is giving appreciation where it's due. When either someone helps you out or you're helping someone else out, getting that appreciation back from that other person is, is huge. And that's something that I've been gracious here at Fence Maker that we're good at is is sharing uh, struggles and, and figuring it out together. Um, I know one thing that's always been very important to me in my time here at Maker and, and a few people are gonna laugh at me if they listen to this, but I think you can't understate the importance of a well-timed good job, a good pat on the back. Um, I know there's been things that i felt like I've done above and beyond on, and, and seeing those efforts recognized goes a long way for my self-fulfillment and feeling like i know what i'm doing and and it's it's good work and i'm being appreciated and and that's important that's crucial to enjoying your career and and feeling like you're helping produce a good design or help the community
0: or or whatever that may be yeah i agree i think there's a very awesome team of people here and i'm very happy i get to experience that sure Uh, how do you approach project management and what strategies do you use to ensure projects are completed on time and within budget? Sure, that's that's a good question and, and I don't mind admitting that I'm
1: fairly new to project management. It's something I've um, always kind of leaned away from a little bit, I, I think I stray a little more towards the technical side of things. I'd like to get in the software, get in the design and and, and make those decisions as opposed to the large, the larger overarching decisions, um, but I, I think I can tell you one thing that does not work in project management is doing it all yourself. That's a uh, that's a struggle that I've come to know and tried to overcome. And you know, it's important to delegate when it's appropriate, but trust um, and and know that the other people are wanting to help you succeed, um, and that you don't have to do it all yourself. I, I think is an important lesson that I had to learn. Um, so I'm excited for more project management opportunities to, to flesh out some of those skills and grow.
0: Okay. How do you stay updated with the latest advancements and technologies in civil engineering?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think, uh, you know, as i am just become licensed, I'm attending now the professional development hours, either lunch and learns or webinars online. And, and that's a great way to see what other groups in the industry are doing. For instance, a vendor may come with some technology that they are embedding into the industry, or you may learn about some design criteria change on some federal uh, code or or something like that. Um, LinkedIn is a great place to just see kind of what's happening in the industry, especially locally. Bill Katzenmeier, I love seeing what Bill is doing, and I think he's really pushing forward some of that AI Uh, trend I talked about earlier, and and pushing the envelope.
0: Yeah, uh, I had the opportunity to come to a few Lunch and Learns over the summer, and they were very interesting. I thought the material they covered was useful and insightful. What skills and qualities do you think are crucial for success in the civil engineering industry?
1: I think patience is very important. I think, uh, you know, one of the first projects that I was brought onto here at Fence Maker when I first began was an environmental assessment that has by nature of the agency involvement and our adjusting the design to be as environmentally friendly as possible has taken, uh, I'm still working on it today, you know, and, and that's not good. That's not bad. It's, it's just what it is. And though it might always be fun to get excited about the new project, the new shiny thing, There's important projects that take time, and they take investment, and they take uh, attention to detail. So being patient and also driven and and wanting to work on something is huge. I I think one of the other important things that we're not necessarily taught in school traditionally is soft skills. You know, even sitting in front of a camera and, and talking to you know, an audience. I think that's something that we're not taught, but that is important in our industry. You know, we, we talked a little bit about lunch and learns and webinars. Those are often presented by industry people, you know, regular individuals. Um, so I think learning how to communicate with clients, with owners, with other engineers who may be partners on a project, I think all of that is is hugely important even down to choosing effective language for an email or for a letter or or the like. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think soft skills, very valuable in your advancement as an engineer. Yeah, I alluded to earlier, you know, having a certain amount of drive and initiative is important as a civil engineer. There's there's always going to be new software. There's always going to be new design criterias. And I, I think seeking those things out is important for our advancement as engineers and for advancing the projects that we build for our, our clients and you know, looking into those things and, and not waiting for the new thing to fall into your lap is, is awesome and it's what makes us better, it's what makes us different.
0: What's the best career advice you've ever been given and what advice do you have for someone starting their career in civil engineering, especially in terms of skill development and specialization?
1: Okay, that's that's a big question. What is the best advice I've been given I would have to say, I think about some words that a colleague of mine, Matt Strickland, shared with me years ago as, as I was a brand new engineer. He said that it is a good idea to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And at the moment, I didn't fully understand what he meant by that. but. You know, we come out of school with this tool bag, and we, and we know all of these things about civil engineering subdisciplines—hydraulics, geotech, structural, etc. But it's a whole different thing to apply those tools and use them to complete a project or a design. Um, and sometimes that may feel foreign. You know, you don't you don't necessarily have all the variables. We got to make some decisions or some assumptions or or find some best available data. Um and I think learning how to do that and learning how to navigate that uncomfortable territory is is huge. Um so I'm thankful to Matt for that advice. You know, one thing that I've always hung on to that I thought was neat, a little anecdote. The optimist sees the glass is half full, the pessimist sees it as half empty, and the civil engineer sees it as twice as large as it needs to be, uh which kind of does a great job of summarizing what we do as civil engineers and kind of echoes why it matters.
0: Before we go, I have to ask our closing question, one posed to all of our interview guests. In the spirit of Fueled, our podcast name, what fuels you? That's a big
1: question. Um, you know, I knew that question was coming, I haven't listened to the show before, so I, I might have premeditated my answer a little bit, but here lately I, I've been kind of uh, enamored with time. And, and that may be some of the fiction novels that I'm reading lately, but, you know, all we really have is time and, and how we choose to spend it. Um, so trying to find a balance of spending enough time with loved ones, with hobbies, with the career, with, um, you know, family and, and making sure that the time that we are afforded is, is really taken advantage of and enjoyed and that we appreciate the things around us uh, and the opportunities that we're given. So that's that here lately at least has, has been a, a driving force for me to, to to be and to go enjoy and learn and grow and, and adventure.
0: Well, thanks Nick for coming out and doing this. Uh, I appreciate you making time in your schedule for coming and talk to me.
1: Absolutely, Holden, it was a pleasure, anytime.